Well, good morning, everybody. Today we start week two of Titus toward a healthy church. So each week we're going to read the text from the week prior so we can kind of lead up into today's text. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your phones or some electronic device, uh, you can open or turn or navigate to Titus chapter 1, and we'll read through verses 1 through 4, and then we'll jump into today's lesson. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. But his in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So, naturally, as a result of that text, my question is, have you ever applied for a job? Um, so, have you ever applied for a job? Can you get a show of hands? People have applied for a job? Great. Uh, and if you applied for a job, there was a piece of paper that you were intently interested in knowing the details of. What, what piece of paper am I talking about? The job description, right? Because on the job description, it tells you what exactly this thing is going to be about. A, a good job description has several different elements. It's got what the job's about, the duties, the responsibilities, the reporting relationships, uh, sometimes even the salary. That's helpful. Uh, lots of different information. So my second question is, have you ever written a job description? Have you ever written a job description? It's, it's harder than it sounds because you have to be broad enough to cover enough of what you're going to ask this person to do to make sure that they don't feel snookered if they got into something that they weren't expecting. But it's got to be narrow enough that people, that people will apply. Exactly. It cannot be impossible to apply for because if it is, then nobody will apply and you will not get any help. So... Paul today starts writing what, in my mind, is, is kind of like a job description for church leadership. And he doesn't finish it in today's text. He's going to finish it in next week's text. And uh, Sean McGarvey is going to help us out with that next week. I am pumped about that. This will be uh, so, so our tradition so far in our Sunday school class is that Amy V. takes Mother's Day and Sean McGarvey takes Father's Day. So thinking these are pretty good traditions so far. And I get both those days off, which is wonderful. So it works out well for me, too. Uh, so Paul looks at this job description today uh, in Titus chapter 1, and I, I got a lot of feedback from a lot of different folks this week about their commentaries, and there's, there's one particular phrase in verses 5 through 9 that everybody absolutely loves to sit on and talk about and theorize and discuss and debate and where does this go and all these different types of things, and yes, we will talk about that today. But no, it will not dominate the entire text because I'm going to try to teach time-wise and reflect the amount of time that Paul spent on the same topics as that we do in here. So we'll see how well I do with that. Um, so we'll start in verse 5 in just a second. But one of the things that, that we like to do when we talk about job descriptions is we like to talk about experience requirements. We like to talk about um, knowledge requirements or education requirements and Paul really spends almost no time talking about those types of things. What he focuses on is the character of the person. He does not focus nearly as much on the skills that a person has. Now, now, there are particular skills that church leaders must have. Some of them are not listed here in this text. There are several different texts where all these uh, different skills and abilities and qualifications are listed. 
But Paul spends the vast majority of his time today talking about, and that's your, your first blank on your uh, handout, about the qualifications for uh, church leadership. It says, uh, Guzik, a quote here, what qualifies a man for spiritual leadership is godly character, and godly character is established according to the clear criteria that Paul's going to list. Now, just as by way of review, uh, Paul's writing this letter to Titus, and Titus has been sent to the island of Crete. And Crete's a big place. Uh, it's about 100 times the size of Hamilton County. Uh, Homer, the guy who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, actually mentions how many cities are in Crete. And in today's text, uh, Paul tells Titus, you go to every single city and you appoint leaders. And Homer tells us there's somewhere between 90 and 100 cities in Crete. So this is, this is not a small task. And if you remember last week, we talked about Crete. And who lives on Crete? Cretans, yes. Cretans live on Crete. Uh, and they were known throughout the, the ancient world for being liars and for being dishonest and for stealing and for just having all manner of negative uh, and evil actions and behaviors associated with them. So, so Titus has the job description to go, he's the commission, to go and find in a hundred different cities people who meet these qualifications. And for several weeks now, I've been reading through the book of Titus and reading through the book of Titus and reading through the book of Titus. And in the, especially the last week and a half or so, I have just been overwhelmed with this sense of how hard must this job have been? I mean, this is just how depressing would it be to go into a land full of pagans and say, God himself has said that we are going to evangelize this part of the world and I've got to go find leaders in this place. And I kept looking at it with, through man's eyes from a, he's got all this work to do. He's got all this work to do. And I really forgot about the God side of the equation. And the God side of the equation is the Holy Spirit was already working on Crete. The Holy Spirit was already taking the gospel and maturing people and developing them and getting them ready for this guy named Titus to walk into town and go, uh, we need some leaders, and they look like this. And it's beautiful because so many times we can focus on how big the job is and how overwhelming evil is in the world, and we forget how much bigger our God is and how much greater his plan is and how many more resources he has available to accomplish exactly what he wants done. So, so this, was, this was my aha moment this week when I came to the conclusion that this was not up to Titus. This is not about Titus. This is about Titus being obedient, but this is about the Holy Spirit knocking it out of the park like the Holy Spirit always does. So God is very big in today's lesson. So let's take a look at a couple other things. Uh, before we get into the text, one more thing, a thing about verb tenses. Verb tenses are incredibly important for today's lesson. Now, in the Greek, there are four different verb tenses. Uh, in English, we have several different verb tenses as well. There's the past tense. So this is stuff that happened prior to right now. There's the present tense. These are things that are going on right now. There's the future tense. This is stuff that's going to happen in the future. We, we name them very wonderfully, actually. I, I like that. Uh, I wasn't that great at English, and I, this was, I was very much appreciated that we actually named them something reasonable. Now, in the Greek, there's another tense. Anybody know? The aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. That's not your blank. That is not your blank. The aorist tense is just the word irrespective of time, okay? The word irrespective of time. Many times in the Bible, it's meant to describe the past, the present, and the future. It's just kind of all in, everything. 
associated to do with this word. And sometimes it's just meant to convey the meaning of this verb without any time associated with it. Now, Paul has four different options to pick from as he goes through today's text. And I'm going to say Paul, understanding that the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul to write these words. So the Holy Spirit got the words and the way and the tenses just like the Holy Spirit wanted. Okay? So Paul had four to pick from. He could have described characteristics that occurred in the past. He could describe characteristics that occurred in the present. He could have described characteristics that were going to occur in the future. Or he could have described characteristics that just were going to be present throughout a man's entire life. And he picks one of these tenses and he uses it every single time in today's text. And the tense is the present tense. And that's your blank. This is very, very important. I'm going to say the phrase present tense probably 30 times or more today because it is incredibly important for how we view these qualifications. All right? So with that, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason I, this is Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, that you should set in order. Now this is a neat little word. This, uh, Wearsby calls this a uh, medical term because it was applied to the setting of a crooked limb. So there was something that's not quite right about these churches in Crete. And, and Titus is going to go and he's going to set these things and get it straightened out and put it so that it can heal and grow and be better. So you should set in order the things that are lacking. Calvin's got a great uh, quote here. He says, churches cannot safely remain without the ministry of pastors. And the thing that was lacking here is there weren't leadership, there wasn't leadership in place, which to me is very confusing because I think about our modern day way of starting a new church or planting a new church. And what do you have to have if you plant a new church? You have to have a pastor. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even consider. That, that has never crossed my mind, planting a new church without a pastor. And yet, there were things that were lacking. You bet they were lacking. Imagine lack of leadership. Now, church is messed up enough with leadership. (laughs) Imagine no leadership or leadership that doesn't meet any type of godly standard. Titus has got his work cut out for him, but the Holy Spirit's already working. So they're going to meet up here. So that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint or place or ordain or just set these things in place, elders. Now, in the New Testament, there's a lot of words that are used interchangeably. And we know that they're used interchangeably because the characteristics required to do these jobs are exactly the same as these words are used around. So I'm going to give you a couple of them. There's uh, bishop, overseer, presbyter, elder, pastor, shepherd, and steward. These are all words that are just kind of, you, you can mix and match and plug and play, and it works just fine. Okay? So, appoint elders in every city. So, we talked a little bit ago that there's between 90 and 100 cities in Crete. Now, now this concept of appointing elders, this is not a new concept to the New Testament. The, the thing that I love about the Old Testament is that you see these you see these shadows of things to come. You see these ideas that will get fully fleshed out in the New Testament. And when God wanted his people to do something specifically, what did he always do in the Old Testament? He raised up a leader. He raised up a leader. And this leader was tasked with taking the people 
from one location physically many times to another location physically, which we can look at that and go, oh, okay. So leadership helps us go from where we are to where God wants us to be. Hmm. Maybe there's a theological concept there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. The idea is that these leaders are connected with God in a way that is consistent enough to know where we ought to be going. Now, there's a great deal of trust that's involved here. There's a trust idea that that God's communicating with leadership, and there's a trust idea that that we have to submit as the lay people, the the non-leadership positions of the church, under that leadership. At the same time, if the leader takes a direction that the people know is not in line with God's will, the people have an obligation to stand up and go, whoa, no, 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 this is not right. This is not good. And we will look at the people's obligation in, in uh, Titus chapter 2. But today, we're going to appoint these elders in every city. So Titus chapter 1, at the end of verse 5, as I commanded you. I love that. Uh, David Guzik has a quote in his commentary. He says, when a job is hard, there are basically two kinds of people. With one you say, the job is really hard, so we can't send him. And with another, we say the job is really hard, so we must send him. And Titus seems to be of the second kind. This job was so hard that we had to have... We had to have a Titus. We had to have somebody that would go and do the work and would not be scared of Cretans in a hundred cities. Because, I'll be honest... I'm scared of Cretans in a hundred cities. <laughs> That's a pretty daunting task. If if Daryl came back from he's in Detroit right now, which God help Detroit. <laughs> I mean that's just crazy. If Daryl came back from Detroit this week and told me, Fleming, all right, we're gonna we're gonna send you on a mission and you're gonna go appoint leaders in a hundred different cities. Really? That's kind of amazing. So who told you this? Is this what you and Gary dreamed up after eating like pizza in Detroit one night? Because I'm going to throw the challenge flag on this one. This is kind of disturbing here. So as I commanded you, uh, verse 6. So now we get into what do these qualifications look like? If a man is, you see your blank there? Guess what your blank is? The present tense. The present tense. Right now, if a man is, present tense, blameless. Now, we did a study on Job. When did we do the study on Job, Albert? When did you come to Stuart Heights? I always forget this. Um, um, it was before I came. So oh, was it before you came? Yeah, I'll be here four, four years in October. Okay, so four, four and a half years ago in October. And the word blameless, it's obviously a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, but the word blameless is used to describe Job in the Old Testament. And David Guzik has got a great quote. He said, sin is vertical. Sin is, am I out of relationship with God? But blameless is horizontal. Blameless is, can somebody throw rocks at me and they need to stick? Can somebody make an accusation that, that is right, that is going to be problematic for me because there's, there's uh, trouble in my life? So if a man is blameless, and my question is blameless from what? Because... Blameless can mean a lot of different things if you don't define what we're judging you against. Okay? So if we're judging you against... So so what do you do for a living, Lynn? I'm an accountant. He's an accountant. So I I am not going to be blameless if Lynn judges me for my accounting ability. Uh, no, no, no. I'm a mathematician, not an accountant. These, these are two different things. <laughs> now, I can check your numbers. That'd be fine. 
but accounting? You know. Zeke, you, you have done something, uh, I think professionally, or semi-professionally, I think professionally, uh, on great open spaces outdoors. What, what is that? Uh, golfing. golfing, yes. Uh, if Zeke were to judge me, according to my... <laughs> I can't even finish the sentence. <laughs> Let's just say. I mean, you've seen me do this, right? It's awful. I've never broken 100. I was excited the first time I broke 50 on a par 3 on 9. Okay, so it's just bad. It's really bad. So if you were to judge me based on my golf ability, <laughs> that's not going to work. I'm not going to be found blameless, right? Now, uh, Julie... Uh, we homeschool Caleb right now, right? Right now. He just finished the fourth grade. If you were to judge me on my ability to perform Caleb's fourth grade math work, am I going to be found blameless? Yeah. I'm, all right. There we go. Finally, got something here. So my question is, what are we judging these guys against? What are we holding this standard to? And, and I would propose that perhaps since Paul then goes into a big long list, we match them up against the list that's coming, just perhaps. I don't know that we want to say any scenario in the world these guys have to be blameless against. That seems a little broad. That seems a little bit broad. So maybe we're just restricting it to this list that's coming up. So if a man be blameless, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. All right, so this is the phrase where everybody likes to go, okay, so what does this mean and what does this mean and what does this mean? All right, so what tense are we talking about so far? Present tense. So the husband, so is this a male or a female? This is a male, right? Of how many wives? One. So this is a married man to one woman and a wife. Okay. So let's start the questions and answer. So what does the Bible say about a leader as far as his married state? What does this say? should be presently married to one wife. All right, so let's start the questions. What about if a man's been divorced? Well, is he presently married to one wife? What if a man's a widower? Is he presently married to one wife? Well, what if he's been divorced and remarried four times? Is he presently married to one wife? What if he's got two wives? Is he presently married to one wife? What if he's single? Is he presently married to one wife? Now, the question that I want us always, 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 always to ask, always to ask about theology is in your notes. Why do you believe what you believe? We should challenge regularly what it is we believe, the reason why we believe what we believe. So here's my question. Why do we believe what we believe about theological things? Because... Many times it's because that's what we've been told. Why should we believe what we believe about theological things? Because it's what the Bible says. Yes. And we go, well, duh, it's because of what the Bible says. Well, what does the Bible say? A presently married man. There it is. That's the sum total of what the Scripture says about this qualification. And there are... Thousands and thousands and thousands of pages that have been written about what's this and this and this. I, I don't know. I know what the Bible says. The Bible says, presently married man. 
Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. I decided a long time ago that I was going to avoid speculation as much as possible. Many of you have great questions about, what about this, what about this, what about this? I can only say what the scriptures have said, a presently married man. Okay? So, moving off, a presently married man. What's the next? If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. So having, this is present tense. Again, have I mentioned present tense yet? I think I've mentioned present tense. Okay. There's a reason this is important. It is critically important. Having faithful children. So, he's got to be blameless. He's got to be presently married to one woman. And he's got to what? Have faithful children. Okay? So why in the world would this be a qualification? That's a great question. And I don't care what the answer is. Because the Bible said this is a qualification. It doesn't matter why God put the bar where he put it. But that's where the bar is. And this is one of those things where I really struggle as a Bible teacher sometimes. That I want to know. I want to know why God said that. I want to know why he put this here, why he framed this this way. The reality is it's my job to obey. So here's the bar. This is where it is. So a blameless man, the husband of one wife, having present tense faithful children, not accused, and that's a legal sense. So the, the bar here is a little broader for the kids. Uh, in, in the, uh, the man himself is a person could bring an accusation. Here it's in a legal setting. All right, so... I think the kids get a little more leeway right now, which that's nice because we've met kids, right? Um, Not having uh, been accused, I'm sorry, having faithful children not accused of dissipation. Now, this is a really strange word for the New King James to use because most of the time the New King James actually picks a word that people know. Um, It's one of the reasons I like this translation. It's pretty consistent with the Scripture, the original languages. What does your translation say? Anybody else have a different word? Riot. That's actually the word that I, that's for your blank. Riot. Not accused of riot. Which is great. So nobody's bringing legal charges against them for leading riots. Well, that's good because that's, you know, we may have an issue if the family is kind of out of whack to the point where we're leading riots in the street is what your kids are doing. Okay? All right. So... Uh, I wanted that to come across the other way. Okay. Or insubordination. Ooh. Well, we tightened her up quick there, didn't we? <laughs> All right. Now, this is, this is the qualifications for leadership in the church. So the kids are involved in this. Uh, I roomed with a, a, a man of God in my freshman year in college. And uh, his father was the head, the president of a massive... Christian school association, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. And he pastored a church back in his hometown of Kansas City that had, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people. And this was, this was 20 years ago when the number of 1,500, 2,000 people churches was way smaller than it is today. And he, he told me, he said, when, when we got to the age, he was a, a triplet. He said, when we got to the age of about uh, seven or eight, my dad brought us all in and he, he walked us through Titus chapter 1. And said, look, this is, this is part of my testimony. This is part of uh, my work that God has called me to do. And you are a part of this in as much as you can disqualify me from this. 
So I need you guys to understand the significance of the weight that God has put on your shoulders as children of ministers. Um, so, so here's my, I'm going to make a comment and then we'll come right back to the text. So my comment is the Bible puts enough stuff on the kids of ministers. We don't need to add anything else. Okay, so how about we love them? How about we put our arms around them? How about we pray for them? Because, dang, that's hard. That is really, really hard, right? I mean, let's, let's love these kids, and let's help them, and let's create an environment where they can actually pull this thing off. Because how awesome would that be for a pagan to look at them and go, that's pretty cool, you know? He's got his house in order. This is good. So, back to the text. Uh, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Verse 7. For a bishop, this is an overseer, so we're, we're interchanging words here. This is a different Greek word, but this is the same job. For a bishop must, and this must is important, because the must, Paul knows what he's going to talk about in verses 9 through 16, because this bar is high because of the job that these guys are about to have to go do. Because guess who lives on Crete? Cretans live on Crete, and Cretans need Jesus, and Cretans are liars, and Cretans need to be rebuked. And some of these folks are in the church, spreading lies in the church and bad doctrine in the church. And it's up to these guys that Titus appoints to go and fix this mess. They've got to straighten that bone out, and they've got to set it, and a healthy church has got to grow. So these guys do not have an easy task because Titus is going to appoint leaders, and Titus is going to go to the next town. These guys have to stay, and they have to do the work. Okay? Does this make sense? This bar is high for a reason. For a bishop must be present tense. Have I mentioned present tense? I'm trying to mention present. I've mentioned present. Okay, great. Must be blameless. Same word as before. As a steward, this is the interchangeableness here, of God, not self-willed. Uh, Adam Clark's got a great line. He says, not one who is determined to have his own way in everything. Man. We just... Whoosh, Tighten them up again, right? <laughs> not self-willed, not quick-tempered. Uh, the ancient Greek word here actually refers to a more settled state of anger than the flash of an occasional bad temper. It speaks of a man who has a constant simmering anger and who nourishes his anger against others, close to the idea of a bitter man. This is the idea of somebody who's just kind of on simmer on the back burner. You, you know, uh, I come home late from work sometimes, and it totally wrecks Julie when she's cooking dinner. And... Whatever was on the front burner cooking, and it's going to be ready when I get home. It's going to be great and wonderful. It's now got to go to the back burner, and she puts it on really low. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes that doesn't work. And sometimes when you meet a man that's just simmering constantly, that doesn't work. It's not good. The result is not what the ideal is. And we've all met people who just constantly simmer, right? It's the guy that you avoid at work because I don't want to make him mad because he's just going to blow up. Just always angry. Just always angry. So not quick-tempered, not given to wine. So this is not staying around wine. So you've got somebody that's just constantly staying around wine. This is probably going to be an issue at some point. Okay? Not violent. Now, the King James actually uses the word striker here, which I always thought was kind of weird because obviously we don't want to pick the guy to lead the church that goes around punching people in the face because that's just... (laughs) That's just kind of crazy. That didn't make any sense at all. That's actually not what this word's referring to. Uh, in, in its day, when the King James Bible was written, Kaufman writes this. The, this referred to a person who went around thumping other people on the head with a quarterstaff. So it was, 
you're not being right. You're not doing right. So it's this very judgmental, uh, kind of arrogant, I'm above everybody else perspective, which that's kind of weird. <laughs> the reality is we still have these people. They just don't have staffs. So UFC fighters are in. So UFC fighters are in. Yeah, this is, this is good. So they're okay. Uh, and then the last phrase in verse 7, not greedy for money. Uh, Platt's got a great line. The overseer must not use the ministry as a money-making business. Money is not our motive. If money's the motive for getting into the ministry, one, you have a really, uh, you have no business sense whatsoever because there's just very few people that actually make any money in it, out of doing the ministry. But if that is your goal, that disqualifies you. You're out. This doesn't work. Okay, so verse 8, but hospitable. And this is fond of guests. This is somebody who, when the doorbell rings, yeah, we got guests. Cool. We get to be hospitable. Now, card, cards up. When the doorbell rings at our house, I generally am not a, yeah, we got somebody coming over. I'm a, I'm on the couch and I'm comfortable. Jules, can you get... <laughs> right? Yeah, so cards up. So, so, so if, if somebody were to look at my life and say, uh, Jim, I think you meet the qualifications, this, I'm swinging and missing on this one. Cards up. This is where I'm falling short. I think there's several others where I'm, I've got some issues as well. And this is what I challenged myself to several weeks ago when I started reading through this. Is Okay, what am I missing? Where, where am I falling short? Where, Holy Spirit, teach me and convict me on these things. And this, this, one, is, this one is tough. I'm, I'm working on this one. Um, a lover, next phrase, a lover of what is good. How many people you know like that? They just love good things. It's not expensive things. It's not rich things. It's just good things. These are things that are right. You just love good things. Sober-minded. The best translation of this that I found was safe-minded. We, safe, S-A-F-E. We're going to entrust leadership into these guys' hands. So... We need to, some folks that we can trust. They're going to be safe with decisions. They're not going to be tossed around and rocking up and down and doing these different things. Just. This is equitable or innocent. Upright in his dealings. Holy. This is a right character. Self-controlled. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Sean. The gentleman who... Rennie. Excellent. Uh, Sean has given me a book, uh, and the name of it is Church Elders, right? Yeah. And I'm going to buy a copy for every single uh, one of our staff members. I'm going to buy a copy for every single one of our deacons. I'm going to buy a copy for every single one of our deacons that are coming for the next 50 years into this church. It is beautifully well-written and clear. He's got a line in here. He says, there's a famous Swahili proverb that says, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. Because if you don't have self-controlled leaders, they're always picking a fight with somebody. And when their leaders fight, there's lots of repercussions from that. And this is a problem. These things disqualify a man from leadership. Verse 9. Here's our last verse for today. Holding fast. Guess what tense that is? Present tense. That's right. It's all about the present tense. Holding fast or adhering to, holding on supporting the faithful or the true word. As he has been taught. So this is a man that has been under authority of someone else in a teaching role. This is somebody who knows how to listen. 
This is somebody who knows how to glean information from somebody else that is not him. Okay, so he has to have been taught that he may be, guess what tense? Present tense. I told you I would say this a few times today. That he may be able, the root word here is dunamis, the powerful or capable or strong. This is not a weak person here. That he may be strong by sound or healthy doctrine to exhort, present tense, right now he's exhorting. And exhorting means I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to put my arm around. Uh, Albert, help me out for a sec. Come here. I'm going to put my arm around somebody and go, hey, buddy, uh, there's some problems. And I love you enough to tell you that there's some problems. This is exhorting. Exhorting happens close. It means to bring near to. Okay? And then, what's the next one? And to convict. That's also present tense. Convicting is, um, Albert, don't do that again. I don't have to be standing next to him. But we're going to tell the truth. There's some issue, and these are theologically based, there's some issue (coughs) that needs to be addressed. Convict those who contradict. I'm going to read an extended quote from Calvin here. He says, The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The Scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. I like that. All the ammunition this guy needs in his gun is Scripture. you got Scripture. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're good to go. You're not using the Scripture. You're using your own intellect. You're going to get off on this. We have no, no source of truth. Uh, Sean sent me a quote from Phillips. He says, The navigational aid to the elders is the Word of God. No matter how dense the clouds or how they obscure the way, they must trust Scripture whenever it speaks to the issue at hand. Period. Scripture gets to have the last word always. It ought to be the first word. That might keep us out of more trouble than we could get into. But if it has the first word and we settle it as the last word or we acknowledge it as the settled last word, it's whole different. So here's another quote here. Where did I talk about gifting in this text? Where did I talk about the skill, the oratory, the ability to cast a vision, the ability to raise a crowd or, or to... Where did I say you got to look good on TV? You wear makeup well. and you, Not in here. The primary consideration must ever be the integrity of his character rather than his spectacular gifts. It's about character, which is the thing that I love about the qualifications in the Scripture. It's about character, it's about character, it's about character. Amy sent me a quote from the Life Application Study Bible. It's important to have leaders who can effectively preach God's Word, but even more importantly, they must live out God's Word and be examples for others to follow. See, these guys have to live in Crete and do the work. So they've got to be examples. So what's the point, Jim? I think God places a high value on our present relationships. The present was mentioned a few times this morning. And number two, character trumps skill. Now, we don't like to acknowledge this. We like to acknowledge that skill is all this and wonderful and fantastic, but character is what matters. So what do we do with that? We'll focus on the now and focus on the character. So that's what the Bible says. And we're going to let it have the last word today because God knows more than I do. So we'll leave it at that. Now, on your tables is a sheet of paper with an opportunity for you to write your name on it. So please write your name on it. And... Opportunity to write prayer requests, so please write prayer requests. And then you've got an opportunity to hang out for a second and pray, and that's good. So lean in, do that, 
and let's engage with each other. So thank you for coming this morning to Sunday School.